6, Ruth chapter 1, and beginning at the verse 6. Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that, how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. We'll end our reading there, and we'll bow in a brief word of prayer. Gracious God, we pray that thou wilt bless us now as we turn to thy holy and sacred truth. Fill me with thy spirit, pour out thy spirit upon us, and speak to us, and defeat the devil, and direct our steps. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take three pictures uh, out of this uh, passage, and they concern these three pictures concern the two young women that uh, were uh, related to and that were spoken to uh, by Naomi. Uh, we know one as Orpah, the other as Ruth, and, and I'm going to take them together uh, in my first point. Uh, then I'm going to look at Orpah, and then I'm going to look at Ruth. I take them together because. I want to commend them in, uh, in certain respects uh, because 
Uh, there are very fine things said about both of them. Uh, these things are said uh, by uh, their mother-in-law, by Naomi. Uh, well, one thing isn't said, but we may imply it. Uh, if you look at them, we, uh, to use a modern expression, may say that they were in no way racist. Uh, racism can be a very difficult thing. Uh, I think I've mentioned to some of you that uh, when we were in England, we had a lot of folk who came from the Afro-Caribbean uh, community. And uh, some of them had come uh, maybe quite a few years ago. They had come over from the West Indies to come over to train as, well, to work as nurses. I'm not sure if they trained or had been trained. And they found when they went to find accommodation, a sign, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Uh, the fact that they looked on us as Irish gave us a point of affinity with them because they felt that, well, uh, we're in the same oppressed bracket. Now, I know things have changed considerably since that time, but there was deep-seated racism. Uh, these women, uh, and I can think of two in particular, uh, that came to our church, they had come over to help. They were going to look after the sick, and yet, looking for accommodation, no blacks. You're not going to receive accommodation from us. Uh, well, there could easily have been racism in the hearts of Orpah and Ruth because there was a hostility between the Moabites and the Israelites. In fact, a Moabite and an Ammonite was not to be allowed into the congregation of the Lord until the 10th generation. So there might have been deep hostility, but these two young girls, as they were when uh, Elimelech and his family came to Moab, uh, they were friendly towards them, and the two girls married uh, two of the sons of Elimelech and Naomi. Uh, so uh, you can say that they were broad-minded in the best possible sense. Uh, and that friendship really did continue down through the generations. You may remember that David uh, was related uh, to Ruth. Uh, David's uh, great-grandmother was Ruth. Uh, and Jesse, David's father, was Ruth's grandson. Now, when David was being oppressed by Saul, he sought to find a place of shelter for his father and mother uh, and others in his family. Where did he go? He brought them to Moab. So there was obviously a friendship that continued uh, from uh, the time uh, of Elimelech and his family going to the country uh, and right down uh, to the time of David. So we can say they were not racist and racism can be a very hurtful thing and we do not want to be racist. One thing I said in our church in London, I want to have as many nationalities as possible in our church. Uh, and uh, we love the black people, we love the white people, uh, we love people of different colours uh, and of different nationalities. But then we can say something more concerning these two young women. We can say that they were good wives. Uh, that's very clearly implied by Naomi. She says uh, in the verse 8 to her daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead 
and with me. The dead. Uh, well, initially we can say the two husbands, Malon and Killian. And what Naomi is saying to these two girls is this. You were good wives. You, look up, you looked after your husbands. You treated them well. You may have had a short time to be married to them because they died young. They were sickly young men, as we've speculated. Well, they were well looked after by their young wives. And that is highly commendable. They were also good daughters-in-law because Naomi says, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. So they were good daughters-in-law. They cared for Naomi. They respected her and they looked after her well. And also we can imply furthermore that they were good daughters. You might think, well, perhaps they've married foreigners. Their families will be antagonistic to them. Their families won't care for them. Well, that truly cannot be the situation because uh, in verse 8 again, Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. Go back to your mother's house. If they had fallen out with their mothers, if they hadn't been good daughters, they could not have gone back to their mother's homes. So it's clearly implied there was a good relationship uh, in the family, a good relationship with their mothers, a good relationship with their husbands, a good relationship uh, with their mother-in-law. And if Elimelech had been living at the time they got married, uh, well, there would have been a good relationship between them and Elimelech. So uh, you take them in the round, and what do you see? You see two young women that are an example to us in this regard. Christianity doesn't sever the ties of relationship. Uh, We are to care for those of our own family. Uh, When we're saved, our chief burden uh, should be to see our loved ones saved, to see them born again. I was the first, as I think I said to you in my testimony, the first saved in my family. And what I wanted to do was to see my family saved. My father would have been most hostile And I never thought at the time that my father would get saved. And I dreaded one thing. I dreaded the day that my father would die. I dreaded it because I thought he'll be in that coffin and he will be in hell. But the Lord in mercy saved him, brought him to repentance. And he saved my family one by one. My brother Brian was the first one after myself. Uh, we were attending the church in Lisbon Law under the ministry of the Reverend Ivan Foster. And Brian got saved and he never looked back. Then I had the same summer of 1970, two sisters saved. My two youngest sisters. Then my brother Keith. I had the joy of leading Keith to Christ. I had been at a meeting where Dr. Bill Woods, a missionary to Brazil that I'm sure you've heard of, probably had here in Phoenix. He spoke and I was deeply moved And I came home just shortly before I got married. And um, I was sharing the bedroom with Keith. And I began to tell him what uh, Dr. Woods had said. Uh, And Keith became concerned. He got out of bed. He was in bed at the time. He got out of bed. He got down at the side of the bed. And he asked the Lord to save him. And when he's speaking to Dr. Woods, he tells him he was saved uh, through him. Uh, Well, it's true. He was. 
He was saved through Dr. Woods, even though he was not at the meeting, and there wasn't even a recording uh, of the meeting. We should care for our own. We should be good brothers, good sisters, good children, good parents. Uh, We should care for those who are near and dear to us. I heard a very sad story recently. A man of my age, uh, he, uh, he was married exactly four days after I was married, and he, he was married for 50 years. A couple of weeks after his 50th wedding anniversary, uh, he very suddenly died. And then there was a fallout. You know the way things happen, a fallout over the will. And uh, the man's wife died there uh, just a week or two ago. Uh, and so bitter was the fallout that in the death notice, they didn't even mention the oldest boy. And in another death notice, they noticed some grandchildren and they said also, separating the children of the oldest son from the rest, they didn't mention those children. In one of the death notices, the grandchildren they were, they didn't mention them. What a tragedy. What a terrible tragedy when there's such a fallout that the oldest in the family is not included in the death notice and doesn't attend the funeral and hears that his mother is dead from someone phoning up to sympathize with him. We want to care for our loved ones. We want to care for other people, for our neighbors, for our friends, for people of other nations, because that's how Christ cares. Uh, Christ did not ignore the Syrophoenician woman. He appeared to, but he didn't. He cared for her. And Christ cared for that woman at the well in Samaria. And so when you think of uh, these two young women, Orpah and Ruth, you think of two young women who were broad-minded in the best possible sense. And in that, they're an example to the unsaved and they are an example to those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. But now I'm going to focus on Orpah. And I'm going to set before you a tragedy. And what a tragedy. With all these commendable qualities that I've mentioned to you, Orpah uh, was one that became a tragedy. She heard from her mother-in-law, Naomi. You'll find that uh, later on, I did point this out last time, uh, that when Ruth said, I'm not going to leave you, she spoke about Jehovah. She had heard about Jehovah. And the only possible place she could have heard about uh, Jehovah was from the family that had come down into Moab. So if Ruth knew it, Orpah knew it. I I suppose that it was Naomi uh, that told her all about it. There's the older woman with the younger woman, and she's telling her about the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, these false gods uh, that are worshipped in Moab are not the true God. And then she would have said about what the Lord had done, called Abraham, saved Abraham, and then uh, the son of Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then the building up of the children of Israel, Joseph being sold by his brothers going down into Egypt, how the Lord raised him up, and he became next to the Pharaoh in Egypt. And then after his death, things changing, and God raising up Moses to lead the Israelites Uh, out of that land of Egypt, the miracles that were performed, culminating in the death of the firstborn, the dividing of the Red Sea, 40 years of a journey in the wilderness, and then 
uh, the Lord leading the people in, Jericho's walls falling down. She would have told her probably about Rahab and the conquest uh, of Canaan. Uh, and she would have set before Orpah the very fact, Jehovah, he is the true God, the living God. And I believe that to a great extent, Orpah drank that in. Because uh, when uh, Naomi said she was going to go back, her two daughters-in-law, they went on the way to return uh, with her to the land of Judah. So it's almost like a profession. I I profess my faith in Jehovah. I believe that he is the true God. And then she stops, Naomi stops her, and she says, go return each unto her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly and truly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest in the, each of you in the house of her husband. Uh, and she kissed them. They lifted up their voice and wept. And they said, so this includes Orpah, Ruth and Orpah, they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. So she wants to go to Bethlehem. She wants to go to the place where the true God is worshipped. Commendable young woman, hears about the Lord, hears the truth, can see, I believe, that the gods of the Moabites are false gods. And I remind you of the horrible practices of that people. Remind you that Chemosh is considered to be the same god as the god of the Ammonites, Moloch. And to Moloch were offered child sacrifices, an iron-clad figure with a a great furnace burning at his feet. Children placed into the arms of Moloch, and they fell down through his arms into the furnace beneath, while loud music was played to drown out the screams of the children and to stop the fathers and mothers from becoming mentally, we might say, insane. Well, that's all false worship. It's idolatrous worship. There are other gods. And Orpah is being introduced to the truth of the word of God. But there's going to be a test for her. There's going to be a test. You see, we all want it nice and smooth. We want salvation on our terms. No difficulties, no trials, no total commitment, total surrender. And here is Orpah, and it's all spelt out to her. Naomi says to her, well, if you go back, remember, I'm not going to be married again. I'm not going to have any more children. And if I should, would you be willing? If I, if I went back and I did have a husband and uh, a son uh, was born to me, would you wait Would you wait maybe 20 years, or maybe slightly under 20 years? Could you wait that long for a husband? And of course, in Orpah's mind will be what was also going to be in Ruth's mind. She thinks, I go back, I have no husband, I'm a foreigner, I have nobody to protect me, nobody to care for me, and I'll not be well treated perhaps, I'll have to skimp and save I'll have to toil and do the most menial of tasks. Uh, I have an honored position. 
here in the country of my birth. And if I go forward, I go forward to reproach. I go forward to hardship. I go forward to hostility. And she stops. And she thinks about it. And she makes a reckoning. Years later, Moses made, sorry, years before Moses made the reckoning, and Moses gave up the possibility of being the Pharaoh of Egypt, as we believe. Uh, he, he, he counted the long term. He thought of eternity. And he thought of, well, I could be in a position of power and I'd be a, with a very respected people, not throwing in my lot with the despised people. But eternity is what counts. Orpah calculated the opposite way. She thought of the, the short term. And even though it broke her heart, she didn't want to leave Naomi. She wanted to go on. But when it was all spelled out to her, she went back. Uh, she was heartbroken. The Bible says that they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave onto her. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. She went back. Now, now let me just try and, uh, and sum this up for you. Uh, this situation that we're thinking about in connection with Orpa. Let's suppose when she goes back, she goes into her mother's house. She's a young woman still. I was, think she's probably still a teenager. And there she is. Uh, she's a beautiful young woman, as we may imagine. And uh, she's a, a young woman with many fine qualities. We've already seen that. Uh, when considering her and Ruth together. And she finds a husband. She has children, possibly grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. And she lives a respectable life in Moab. But then, remember, it's a land of false religion. One of her children, maybe her first child, maybe a little boy, is offered to Chemosh. She watches a child, a child sacrifice. It's her child. And then she has other children. They get married. They have children. She watches grandchildren being offered in sacrifice to Chemosh. And maybe even watches great-grandchildren being offered in sacrifice to Chemosh. And the key expression concerning this young woman is this. Thy sister-in-law is gone back Onto her people and onto her gods. She's away back to the false idolatrous worship. What a tragedy that is. And one day it'll be her turn to die. And she'll not be in heaven. Sadly, because she rejected the truth. And because she counted the cost the wrong way. That day she dies, she'll lose her soul. And I suppose we can say that for the last 3,000 years, Orpa, Orpa is in hell. Now, now why do I emphasize this before you? Because that sort of tragedy is happening every day in every part of the world. Some die without the knowledge that Orpah had, but others die 
having heard the truth, having received a gospel tract. Some people die who grew up uh, in a Christian home, were under Christian instruction, uh, were told the way of salvation, but they weren't willing. They weren't willing to, uh, to give up maybe a friendship. Maybe there's a boyfriend or a girlfriend there. They weren't willing to give that up. The other party was unsaved. And, and they preferred a boyfriend. They preferred a girlfriend. They preferred a promotion at work. They preferred the friendship of the world. They were unwilling to give up all of their sins. Decent people in many respects. Upright in many respects. But choosing the world. Choosing uh, the lusts of the flesh. And then they come to die. And in this country, I'm sure, and in other countries, many fine things are said about them. But that's not how it is. On the other side, if we could draw back the veil, that rich man that we read of in Luke chapter 16, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, he had a burial. The rich man died and was buried. Lazarus appears not to have had a burial, thrown maybe on a rubbish heap for his body to be consumed. Well, the rich man died, he was buried. If you had been at the gravesite, you would have heard eloquent, eloquent testimony and tribute paid to that man. He's a pillar of society. He was a shrewd businessman. He was nobody's fool. He was a decent husband. And so on. And all sorts of kind comments made. But Christ then just pulls back the veil. And says, and in hell. He lift up his eyes being in torments. These sorts of tragedies are happening every day that we live. Now if you and I are not moved, is there not something wrong with us? Do we not care? Do we not care that men and women are perishing and going down that broad road and at the end of a life without Christ they fall into hell, into an eternity without Christ. And in hell, they lift up their eyes, being in torments. I say, ask the Lord to give you a burden, to give you a passion, to give you a great love for the souls of men. And I can say, thus far can we go with regard to Orpah. But now we turn to the joyful news of Ruth. And note that everything commendable that we were able to say about Orpah, we can say the same about Ruth. Now, Ruth is, is faced with the same challenge as Orpah faced. In fact, I'll put it this way she's faced with a far greater challenge. It's immeasurably greater. Uh, when there's going to be two of you, that's a lot easier. Uh, Ruth's uh, going back and she thinks, well, Orpah's coming with me uh, and two are better than one. We can share the burden. We can uh, condole one another. Uh, we can help one another out when, when we feel that we're uh, being treated nastily by uh, the people of Bethlehem because we're foreigners, when our backs are breaking uh, over the work, the menial tasks that we have to do. Uh, then there'll be two of us. 
There won't be one. There'll be two of us. But there won't be. There won't be. You're on your own now, Ruth. And uh, Naomi turns to her and she says, Behold, look, there's your sister-in-law. Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people. And then she adds words that uh, really sum up the tragedy. And unto her gods. And she says to her, Return thou after thy sister-in-law. You follow her. You go back. Why did Naomi say that? Well, as I think I've suggested to you in looking at her life, she was testing her. Uh, Because Christ did say, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now the Lord doesn't always ask us to give up everything, but he does ask us to be willing to. The Lord should put his hand on something in your life and say, that has to go. Would it go? The Lord said, that's something that you're doing that is wrong and you can't continue to do it. Would you stop? You see, it's a test. Who really matters? Who really matters? Who is your friend? Who is your saviour? Who is your heart sold out to? Is it to selfish interests? Is it to the world? Is it in the ultimate case? Is it to the devil that you're sold out? Well, here's a test for Ruth. It's going to be far harder now without Orpah at her side. And she's told Your sister-in-law has gone back. She's gone back to her people. She's gone back to her gods. Now you follow her. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And here's where the nobility of Ruth's character stands out. But may I say further, here is where the grace of God stands out. There but for the grace of God, she would go back. And there but for the grace of God, you would go back. And I would go back. You see, salvation is a miracle. Salvation's a miracle. You must be born again. Well, every birth's a miracle. Every new birth, even of the most respectable person, is a miracle. We, we can easily see of the most notorious conversion that it's a miracle. We look at the Philippian jailer and say, what a miracle. What a miracle. We look at the demoniac of Gadara, we say, what a miracle. We look at the woman at the well. She's had five husbands. She's living with somebody else. The Lord saves her. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? That's a miracle. And there have been many, many miracles of grace in the salvation of notorious sinners. But every conversion, every true conversion is a miracle. And it's not possible. It's not possible for us Uh, to embrace Christ uh, without the grace of God triumphing in our lives. A few years ago, uh, I read a book, uh, and uh, it was written by a lady here in America. She was a professor of English in Syracuse University. Uh, And her book is available, Rosaria Butterfield is her name. And the book's called Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. This lady uh, was an ardent uh, uh, lesbian. An ardent lesbian. 
Uh, and if someone put in a dissertation uh, into uh, the class for her to mark, it got, if it didn't take the feminist line, it was marked F, not for feminism, but for fail. And she used to give the, uh, the talk, the lecture, opening lecture at the start of the school year. And she always took the feminist line and the LGBT line. And then she, she received a letter from a Reformed Presbyterian minister. Uh, and it was written in a kindly tone. And she read it. And she crumpled it and threw it into, oh, better use the right expression here, uh, the garbage can. Uh, and then she took it out. And she read it again. And she looked at it and she threw it back in the can. Then she took it out again and she decided to get in touch with the man. And he invited her to come for tea. Uh, She expected to be harangued. That he would really, uh, in a sense, he would really lay into her and start all the arguments. But he didn't. He treated her very gently. And she came to church. And she had her vehicle covered in LGBT slogans. Uh, and, and little by little, the Lord worked in her heart until she came to true repentance. Now, she found that extremely difficult. She said it was like a train crash. Her feelings were, uh, were all through other uh, because uh, she still had the old feelings. And yet she knew what was right. She knew it was right to turn from sin, to have done uh, with the lifestyle that she was living to get right with God to take Christ as saviour but at the same time she felt that she was deserting all her old friends how tough how tough that was now if you read her book you'll discover her feelings changed she did what was right before God the Lord was speaking to her she turned from her sin she called on the name of the Lord she began to walk with God and then her feelings changed. And today she's a most engaging Christian, uh, writing in a beautiful style, a very appealing style. But she had the struggle. And you can imagine the struggle that Ruth had. There she is, her friend, her sister-in-law has gone back. And her mother-in-law saying to her, return thou after thy sister-in-law. But her mind's made up. No matter how hard it's going to be. She says, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And it says, When she, that's Naomi, saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking unto her. There's resolution. There's a heroic young woman. And she's going back to hardship. She knows that. And when she wakes up the next morning as a true convert, the reality still faces her. And when she's back in Bethlehem, or not in Bethlehem, with Naomi back there, she's still facing all the problems that have been spelled out along the road. And she's willing. She's willing to work to do the most menial tasks. She started at the bottom. She says, let me go and glean. And her hap was to light upon a part of the field that belonged uh, to Boaz. That word hap's an interesting word, and I must stop here. But 
That word hap's an interesting word. It really means her chance. Some people say there's no such thing as chance. Though Christ did say that, I think it was the, uh, the priest going down by chance that went a priest down that way. He's either the priest or the Levite, but he used the word chance. You say, well, there's no such thing as chance. Yes, from God's point of view, there isn't. God's in control. He knows everything. He has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. But from our point of view, it's chance. It's unplanned. Unplanned. Uh, you may walk down the road and you fall in with somebody and they're, you don't know them, but you discover in talking to them that they're most concerned about their soul and you're, you're able to speak to them and perhaps in due course to point them to Christ. You didn't plan that you would meet that person, but God did. Well, our hap was delighted a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. And we might say the rest is history. Because she started in the toughest way, picking up the leftovers that God had said were not to be picked up by the reapers, but to be left for the poor and for the stranger. She picked those things up. The Lord favored her. And uh, then she discovered through her mother-in-law that Boaz was related to her. He had the right to redeem. And Naomi gave her instructions about speaking to him, uh, about honoring his duty. He said, there's somebody as a prior claim. I'll speak to him. I'll sort that out. And when that was sorted out, she married Boaz, became the mother of Obed, the grandmother of Jesse, the great-grandmother of David, and an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, When it's all spelled out, it seems tough to us at the start. But the Lord is no man's debtor. He always, he always, through good times and bad, he always cares for his people. If hardship befalls us, well, there's a purpose to it. Uh, If we're deserted by friends, the Lord's still in control. And one day, as one of the hymns said, we'll see the meaning of our tears. We'll see why we passed through hard times, why the road was difficult in places. We'll see that. But as another hymn writer put it, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. It will be worth it all when we see him. Here is the heroine of this book, this wonderful young woman, Ruth, And here is the wonderful grace of God triumphant in her life. We want to follow in her steps. Yes, we sympathize with the tragedy of Orpah. And we do want to live our lives as they lived in their relationships with one another and with our relatives and neighbors. We want to be good neighbors. We want to be good members of the family. We want to be good members of society and of the nation, but above all, we want to be good followers, like Ruth, good followers of the Son of God. Oh, I commend him to you, and I commend the example of Ruth to you, and I say, take her words upon your lips, entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. Say that to Christ, and say, the Lord do so to me, And more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Let's bow together in a closing word of prayer.
Our Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt impress thy truth upon our hearts. Lord, we do grieve over what we have read about Orpah. We never wish to see a soul being lost. We do not want to see one, even our bitterest enemy, cast into hell. Because we realize that there but for thy grace, we too would have gone. What mercy, what mercy has been shown to us. Lord, we thank you for Ruth. We thank you, Lord, for her noble testimony. And we thank you that today she's with the Saviour, with the Son of God. She's with Naomi. She's with all the people of God. And she looks upon the face of her blessed Redeemer. And she will ever be happy throughout the countless ages of eternity. May that be the portion of each one of us. And may we win others so that it might be their portion also. Spread thy covering wings around us till all our wanderings cease. And at our Father's loved abode, thy saints arrive in peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.